This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Listening colour. Good morning, this is Jazz Shapers. I'm Elliot Moss, bringing you the entrepreneurs shaping the world of business together with the musicians shaping the worlds of jazz, soul and blues. My guest today, I'm extremely pleased to say, is Andrew Block, co-founder and non-exec director now of the multi-award winning, in fact, so many awards you can't count them, uh, PR agency, Frank. Inspired by his A-level art teacher to consider a career in advertising, Andrew says he clung on to this idea. It was the first job he'd been told he'd be good at. But unable to get a chance in the industry, he was pointed instead towards PR. And on unpaid work placement at Lynn Frank's PR, he said he fell in love with it, particularly the pace. You can have an idea in the shower at 6am, he says, and by 7, the idea has gone to a client and by 8am, it's gone live. When a colleague, Graham Goodkind, asked Andrew to join him in setting up their own agency, Andrew turned him down three times, sounds almost biblical, before finally in 2000, they launched Frank. We'll find out what changed Andrew's mind very shortly. Built on a foundation of talkability, the buzz that takes over and does your best marketing for you, it says here, Frank is now one of the industry's most decorated agencies and has represented some of the nation's best-known brands, including 20th Century Fox, Aldi, Burger King, EA Games, Coca-Cola and so many more. We'll be talking to Andrew in a few minutes about all of this, about life after Frank. He stood down earlier this year from his executive duties and about being the official spokesperson and PR advisor to none other than Lord Sugar for nearly 20 years. Brilliant to have you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been strange times recently and I'm very happy that you've joined us in person. PR strikes me as a business where you literally reinvent yourself every day. You literally have to start again. Tell me what that's felt like for the last 20 years. Well, it's a good question. I mean, the the industry is almost unrecognisable from when I started, which will make me sound extremely old. But when I started, there was no email, any sort of photography had to get couriered over to a journalist. The internet wasn't really there. So, but the principles of it have stayed the same. It's just the technology and the way that we communicate has evolved. There's more ways to get messages out. So the industry I fell in love with 25 odd years ago is still the industry I love today. That bit hasn't changed at all. And do you think, I mean, people talk about the oldest professions in the world and um, I'm sure that communication between humans is is kind of up there. Were you brilliant at PR before you went into the PR business? If you think back to when you were growing up, was it something that just came naturally to telling a story, knowing how to pitch it? One of the things about PR is actually very, very hard to define exactly what it is. I mean, I had no clue what PR was actually until the day I stepped foot in a PR agency. But the skills that you need to have in PR, which are essentially the ability to tell a story, to spot what's going to get talked about, to have an interest in the media. When I look back now, yes, I had all those traits growing up, but I wouldn't have known that they were characteristics that were going to set me off on a good footing for a career in the PR industry. Yeah. And did you know anyone in the PR industry when you were? were No, no one. No one at all. I mean, I always had my heart on going into advertising and it's a tough, tough industry to get into with really arduous processes, application forms, interview after interview. I remember. 
Yes, well, you've been there, done it, worn the T-shirt. But I, and I got bored of these applications. They were taking so long. And it wasn't that I wasn't getting anywhere. I was just not getting anywhere quickly. So someone who I can't even remember who they were said, try PR. It's a bit like advertising. And I did. So I looked up who the sort of top PR agencies were, wrote to them, got offered a work placement. And that was how it all started off. But it was never an intentional plan. It worked out okay. And it sounds like when Graham asked you, as I mentioned earlier, to come and create this agency, you you said no a number of times. Is it the same for you with regard to setting up your own business? Was it something you hadn't really thought about? And was that the reason why you said no? It was to do with the fact I just didn't think I was ready. Graham was my first boss when I started out in PR. And then we went our separate ways. So we hadn't been working together for a couple of years, um, but we're still in touch. I'd only had five years experience and there's always that temptation to keep building your CV and keep bettering yourself. And when he said to me, I think we should set up a PR agency together. I said to him, you know, I'm not, just don't think I'm ready. I love the idea. would love to work with you. Maybe a couple of years, you know, great idea. And he said to me, you will never be ready. You'll never feel ready. And he was completely right. And so that's why it took me three attempts to sort of think, okay, what's the worst that can happen? I'll give it a go. And, you know, if it doesn't work out, I'll go back cap in hand to my old employers or, you know, put put my CV up on LinkedIn. So that, that was how it started. And then fast forward 20 years, uh, Frank's now an established agency doing well in a good place. Um, I still love it to pieces and I'm still involved with the agency in a non-exec capacity but I wanted to keep challenging myself and it'll be wrong to say it was easy it'll be wrong to say it was boring because it was none of those but I just felt there was time to try something different and yeah it's it's I guess equally hard I mean you the older you get I think the more responsibilities you have financially I think you lose a sense of your I don't know what the right adjective is. Freedom, Andrew. I wasn't going to say that, We've lost our freedom. He's looking me in the eye going, that's absolutely right. Very, very true, but that wasn't the word I was going to use. Of course it wasn't. You kind of, like that fearlessness when you're young and you've got nothing to lose, that goes. You don't know stuff, right? Yeah. So you're just going to crack on. Yeah, so it wasn't an easy decision. It took me actually two years to come to the decision. I didn't jump out of bed one morning and just go and say, you know, see ya. It, It was a long thought through process and actually when it got announced within 24 hours I knew it was 100% the right thing to do but I don't think there was any way of me really knowing that before I actually sort of took the jump and did it and I haven't looked back I mean it's early days to be fair but it's been a good few months since I made the decision and so far so good long may it continue. Sometimes you just got to jump because it's experiential and you won't know until you do it. You talked then about making decisions and what you said was interesting to me anyway. Um, you said you didn't feel ready and then you, Graham said you never feel ready. You also almost said the same thing again in the sense that through the context of 20 years in and then you didn't know if it's going to be the right, make the right decision and all that. PR is not often associated with humility or a sort of self-awareness or maybe you'll tell me otherwise. It strikes me that everything that your business has done is absolutely out there hugely confident, infused with this is it, this is right, and you would have made many decisions, probably more than you can remember, about a client and their business and about a decision you're going to take, and they would be brave things, which is how the talkability thing happens. And yet when you talk about yourself, 
it's quite different. Is it that you're more honest? I mean, is there, a, is there more introspection about your own abilities than you have let on over the years? Because again, from the outside, I just go, Andrew Block, super successful, 20,000 plus followers on Twitter. I'm not jealous at all. 20, oh, how many? 40. Oh, yeah, outrageous, man. 40,000 on Twitter. Not that that's a measure of anything. Absolutely not. Absolutely not, but it's quite nice. A bit of fun. Blue tick as well. The big blue. Oh, he's got the blue tick. You see, now he's showing. <laughs> um, but seriously, that humility thing, is was that just insecurity or was it humility? I think, I mean, as a person, I'm actually pretty shy. Don't like to be in the spotlight. I'd rather let other people take the limelight and I'll just be there guiding them from behind. Um it's interesting, you know, you talk about the stereotype of PR and it does exist. I don't necessarily think it's fair, but certainly when we set up Frank, we recognise that one of our characteristics, we were a little bit different as people. We weren't that kind of pashmina wearing, champagne sipping, long lunch characters. Um, so that's why we called the agency Frank. It was about open, honest, straight to the point. And I've also sort of always been the kind of person that doesn't necessarily like authority or respect authority, not in a disrespectful way, but just because someone is a, in a position of power or running a big company, marketing director of a huge brand, doesn't mean they're always right. And I've never been a yes man in that I will always give them my open and honest opinion. And I think that is what has stood Frank so well over, over time in that People want to be challenged. Um, people want those opinions. And that's something I've always set out to do. But as a person, I think I've always suffered a little bit from that sort of imposter syndrome. I remember when we started Frank and, you know, one of the things I didn't mention is I was only 26 when we set up the company. I still looked young. Designed. You still look young. Ah, oh, thanks. <laughs> He's younger than me, so I'm just annoyed. You're going to have Carry to believe on. him. But, but you know, it, I was young and... I used to wear a suit to meetings. It was like that sort of Doogie Howser. You just yeah, want to make yeah. yourself look a bit. And it took me quite a long time. And even recently, you know, sometimes I'd go into boardrooms and everyone was 20 years older than me. And you just think, are they going to look at me? I still feel young. I know I'm not really, but I'm still wearing trainers and jeans and all the types of things that my son tells me I'm too old to wear. But for a long time, I felt I had to pretend to be older or dress in a different way and I don't know I, I, now I think I've got that confidence I've been doing it for long enough that people respect my opinions they listen and there's to proof points right you've got 20 years of success I mean, yes that's the truth of it but ju just on the challenging authority thing and the fact that you've you called it Frank you have strong opinions where did you learn that that was okay because again some people don't have that assertiveness where did you think you were told that you know Andrew you have it's important to be honest it's important to back yourself I guess I learned it from observing my peers and before Frank I was at a big global agency and I saw lots of people in meetings and they were yes 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 and then what would happen is a campaign would run and it wouldn't go exactly to, pl to plan and they'd say oh, I always Never thought it was going to work. And I just, I was this young kid. And I think, well, why didn't you tell them then? It's like no point once the horse has bolted. And I just sort of observed that on numerous occasions. And I would challenge my superiors in the company. And, you know, I wouldn't have the confidence to say it in a meeting because I'm the sort of little one in the corner taking notes. But I'd say, you know, I was listening to what they said. And I just, in my opinion, that's not going to work. And, and they really listened. My 
bosses and stuff. And then, you know, through time, I almost got the license to be able to say that myself. And I think it's really important. You know, people are employing you as advisors, as specialists in your field. And that's why they're paying you money. So they want to hear your opinion. You're not just there to say, yes, sir, no, sir. You know, when do we start? That's not what they want. I mean, obviously not challenging things for the sake of it, but I think some of the best campaigns that I've been a part of within my career are the ones where we have challenged briefs, where we've been disruptive, where we've challenged a client to think differently. They don't always know what they want. So they're they're always open to hearing different ideas. And I think it's also about not being scared to have an opinion that someone doesn't agree with. You know, sometimes you can challenge something and they will say, you know what, um, get your point, but we don't want that. We want to do what we're doing and that that's okay too. And I think what it's actually done over the 20 or so years that Frank has been going is you tend to attract like-minded clients. So the ones that don't value your opinion, don't like being challenged, don't like that sort of Frank philosophy, they don't really get through the door because they go with another agency that's better suited to them. and And that's okay as well. But what it means is that the clients that do come through the door, do like what you say, they stick with you. And, you know, I've got plenty of clients that have followed the agency as they've moved on from different jobs within their career because they like your approach and they just take you with them. And that's that's a great thing. Stay with me for more from my guest. That's Andrew Block talking frankly and honestly about the power and the value of being frank. Uh, he's coming back in a couple of minutes, so uh, don't go too far because right now you're also going to hear a taster from the Mishcon Academy digital sessions, which we created during lockdown. They can be found on all of the major podcast platforms. In this one, Mishcon Dorez, Joe Hancock and Katie Ling talk about current trends in cyber fraud and what companies need to do to protect themselves against that during the recovery period. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. So should businesses and individuals worry about cyber fraud? Is this overblown? Are we panicking too much about it? Or are people not taking it seriously? I think we should definitely be worrying about this, but it's more on the individual level that I think people aren't necessarily taking it seriously. Unfortunately, we're all at risk from cyber fraud and we've all got a lot of data on the internet. Unless we've been living completely off the grid for the last 30 years, uh, we will have some sort of personal information online. And even if you are personally very careful, it's other organizations that you have trusted with your data, such as your email, your phone or your credit card. And if they're compromised, then unfortunately, so are you. What are the main risks for businesses or other organizations as well as individuals? Well, I think the main risks are probably financial. Some of these attacks can lead to great financial losses, whether that be in the hundreds of pounds or even in the millions of pounds. And also there are reputational risks if your client's data is breached, um, as we saw with EasyJet and some other large companies. This can have a really negative impact on your reputation. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You can enjoy all our former Jazz Shapers and hear this very programme again with Andrew by popping Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. Or you can ask Alexa to play Jazz Shapers and many of our recent programmes await you there. But back to today, it's Andrew Block 
co-founder of consumer PR agency Frank, now a non-exec director. He's taken a back seat, sort of, if ever a co-founder does that. Um, We've been talking a lot about ideas and creativity and uh, opinions as well. The ideas um, have come and come and come again and again and again, and the awards are on one level superficial, and one would always say, well, the awards, Frank, thank you very much, but actually it's the work that matters and the results. What does it take to create a group of people that are consistently delivering high-quality ideas? Because everyone has a flash in the pan, don't they? But the 20 years is what intrigues me. How have you managed to build a team and a culture that's enabled that capability? You have to push yourself. And ideas is your currency. And that is the thing that would always keep me awake at night. And the simple formula is you do good work. You attract good clients. You attract good people. You keep on growing. And the money and the sort of financial side of it follows. I mean, it sounds very easy. But an obsession with creativity, I think, is is almost what I'd call it. And... Actually, what's quite interesting in the ad, PR, marketing services landscape, but particularly in PR, is up until recently, PR agencies didn't really have a creative director because they never wanted to divest responsibility to one person. And it had to be part of your culture. And it's only really been in the last three or four years that we've had a creative director. But the way that we use that creative director, I guess, is like, I don't know, a cheerleader for creativity, but they're not having the sole responsibility. It comes from a group of people. Everyone has their own techniques. When we started out, we had this philosophy and this ethos around talkability, which we define as the buzz that takes over and does your best marketing for you. And we developed a methodology for coming up with the triggers that could lead to talkability. So it could be about disruption, breaking conventions, could be looking at the zeitgeist and what's going on at the moment and how you can sort of stay one step ahead of the trend. And by playing around with these triggers, when it was Graham and I that were sitting there, we almost did this automatically. We didn't sit there sort of with a tick box that we'd go through. And the more time you spend with other people, they start to learn by osmosis and pick up from it. But I think because we put creativity right at the fore of what we did, that's why it's become such an important part of our success story, important part of the organization. And you can never get complacent about it. But I wouldn't necessarily say I'm a creative or the most creative person in the world, but I soak up media, whether that's social media, whether it's reading articles, blogs, forums, listening to podcasts, and that gives you triggers and you work with people who can sort of take something or you listen to someone else and you can help. It's definitely a team mm. Thing. But there's, there's no, uh, you describe it not quite a formula, but you're saying that these triggers, are they emotional triggers, behavioral triggers? Because there's, there's one thing kind of knowing in theory what's going to work, you know, tiny temper, music, a big brand, or, or the opposite where you invoke something really highly incredible or, or highly contentious, you'll know you're going to get something. Is it that? Or is it just the fusion of all these different things that then come to bear on the brief? Bit of everything Mm. is the easy answer. You start with an idea and that idea should be completely media neutral because a great idea could manifest itself as a product, as a sponsorship, as an ad campaign, as a PR campaign, as digital marketing, social media, you know, all sorts of routes to get it out. So you never constrain yourself by the medium, if, if you like. And you just think of the idea. And then what you have to do is marry that up 
with makeability. Is this something that the media, that the public, that whoever it's intended for are going to be interested in? Because there is no point having a great idea that no one cares about. So it's kind of fusing those two things. And no, it's not a formula, but it's triggers to help get your brain working in a way that's likely to lead you to something interesting and something that will provoke talkability. But now that, you know, the whole world's changed and the way that consumers interact with brands, brands interact with consumers is completely different to how it was five years ago, 10 years ago. So the techniques, the ways of thinking have changed and you can't just use a formula because a formula will go out of date and you have to constantly evolve but yeah it's it's, I mean it's an excellent question and an almost impossible Mm. question to answer because I think if you can build a culture where creativity is at the core it kind of happens without you knowing how it happens to me it's probably about just prioritizing it and making people recognize that is the most important thing within our business your leadership style in this and you've been running the shop with other people for a number of years we talked a little bit about the fact that you've put creativity at the center we talked about the fact that you attract great clients the wrong ones that you know you want to be confident either to let them go or not worry that you're not attracting them but what about making sure those people that you've got really are the right people and have the right environment how have you done that as a leader if you step back a little bit from it happens to be PR because you said something very interesting earlier about you know you're paid for specialist advice. At the end of the day, you your craft skill is PR, Andrew. But in reality, the CEO or the CMO is buying you for the the advice you give him, which ha- or her, and it happens to be communications. Tell me a little bit about you as a leader and and that group of people. Well, look, people are your currency. So being able to attract the best people in the business is critical. Having a strong brand helps. And, you know, when going back to what I was saying about great campaigns, everything else follows one of the benefits of doing great work. People want to work for that sort of company. I think, if I'm being honest, the people skills is perhaps not my greatest attribute. And I work alongside a guy called Alex Greer, who is phenomenal, a hundred times more patient and better with people than I am. My approach is very fair. I always believe in running the agency as a meritocracy and maybe based on my own experiences, I've always felt if you're young enough and you can do it, age should never be a barrier. You don't have to wait for someone to die, retire, reach a certain age, do a certain number of years at a certain level. If you show the ability and the hunger, personally, I would always do whatever I could to reward those people. You have to be tough if you run a meritocracy because that means certain people aren't going to be up to scratch and they're not hitting those milestones or getting as quick so you've always been straight and that always and that means there's some people that are going to go he's just too honest for me and other people are going to go i really like his honesty yeah i think actually a girl left us who should remain nameless a few weeks ago and she sort of wrote a little bit about each of the directors when she was leaving and she wrote against me i don't really remember this story but you gave me the most brutal but brilliant evaluation of a pitch i've ever had And I vaguely remember what pitch it was. But I believe they're never going to learn if you just tell them what they want to hear. And sometimes people can find that. I mean, I don't do it in a horrible way. I'm not a shouty or nasty person. But if there's something that's not right, I'll tell them and I'll tell them why. Some people have never experienced that because they're just used to dealing with people that 
I don't know, skirt around the edges, nice, nice, softy, softy. Yeah, it's really, really good, you know, well done. And I'll say, look, this bit is brilliant, but you're way off the mark here, or I don't agree with this. Sometimes people can find that a bit painful because you always want to show your boss something that he's just going to go, yup, fine. They don't really want to hear, yup, but. um, So number one attribute is honesty, is what you would say. I think so. And you're you're comfortable being brutal in your analysis. not brutal. It's just it's, it's just the it's truth. Fair. And it's not delivered in a brutal way. I will maybe kind of, I don't know, package brutal feedback in soft tissue and ribbons. Like I, w- I would never destroy <laughs> someone's confidence, rip them apart. I'm not a shouty person. I don't think I've ever had an argument with anyone in a work capacity ever. But yeah, direct feedback that is constructive and helping people improve. I'm a great believer you've got to pull people up and I don't think there is any such thing as the perfect PR person or probably the perfect person in any um, working environment. So rather than find their faults and what they can't do, you look at what they're great at. And actually, when I look at a big reason, I think, for the success in of Franken, it's certainly in the early days, not anymore because there's an amazing leadership team that's in place now. But when I look at Graham and I, the, the two founders, we had you know different skill sets that one of us complemented the other and the combination of the two of us was an excellent combination. Now we're fortunate there's, I don't know, half a dozen at least exceptional people within that business. So you kind of, but again, probably if I broke it down and analysed them, if I was a psychologist, I'd look at the six of them and look at their different character traits, personalities. No one of them is perfect, but you put the right combo of two or three of them together and you've got an exceptional individual. Final chat with Andrew Block coming up very shortly. Don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Just before he leaves the building, I've got a few more minutes with Andrew Block. He's been my business shaper today. Very honest on brief, Andrew. Thank you very much for that. And fair too. The future. So here we are now. You've made a bold move, though, as you said, kind of the gut caught up with it. Once you'd made the decision, it felt like it was the right one, which I think is a good way around. Sometimes we can all over overthink things, can't we? What excites you about where you're at now? You are still young, relatively, and you've got an incredible track record. So what, what happens next, ideally? When I stepped back and announced I was stepping back, I didn't have a plan, as stupid as that sounds. But I kind of I knew what I didn't want to do but I didn't know what I did want to do. And I just let the phone ring and I thought I'd see what happens. And so where I'm at sort of now is I've taken on a few non-exec positions, advisory positions, one for a mergers and acquisitions firm, helping them find marketing services companies to buy, two in the technology space, one sort of quite close to home in the sort of PR, CRM space and another um, in the recruitment and assessment space. I wanted to do more work for charitable organizations and good causes. So I joined the Prince's Trust and I sit on their um, business leadership group and help find young entrepreneurs, get them funding and set their businesses up. Um, And also just joined um, as an advisor to Big Community Records, which is set up by Craig Fenton, the COO of Google. And that is all about helping young people from poor backgrounds get a break in the record industry and use his genius in technology and combine that with great musical talent. And then the final bit has been consulting 
and essentially just helping brands or agencies out. You know, what I've learned over the last 20 odd years is how to build and grow and develop an agency, whether that's through new business, whether it's through mergers and acquisitions, whether it's just through helping them get their brand and their tonality right. So I've been doing that as well. And so, and then I've carried on working with Lord Sugar, who's been a client of mine for pretty much the first few days, few months, should I say, of Frank. Do you call him Lord? Um, when I'm with other people, yes. I'll always address him yeah. as Lord Sugar. And then, I don't know, our emails are very short. So it's dear, never, un- dear Uncle Al. No, I would Not never that. call him that. It's, it's normally just no dear or anything. Just it's Alan. Or... Not even Alan. I mean, the emails are short. I would say we probably bat backwards and forwards a couple of dozen a day, and the average length of the email is maybe three or four words. I mean, that's... It's what... a deep and emotional relationship, Absolutely. Andrew. I can see the glint in your eye. It's just getting stuff done yeah, quickly yeah. and effectively. But that's and... very similar to I had on the program, as we were talking about earlier, Sir Martin Sorrell, very similar email patter. It's quick. Very mm. fast response, but very short. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've learned a hell of a lot from Lord Sugar over the years, you know, and, and actually one of the ways that I think I've adapted my communication style a bit is just getting to the point. And so I try not to sort of waffle in emails, get to the point straight away. I mean, he takes it to another level, but that's because we know each other. But yeah. but that's I, quite a range. What you've just described is very interesting because there's the social piece, the community piece, and you've thought obviously that's become more important over the years to you. You've got then the agency kind of direct consultancy, and then you've got the opportunity to go, actually, I can spot them and I can help them. And that's the board advisory, you know, spotting new companies over there. That sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, it you're is. sort of, aren't you just, you're, you're appealing to all the different parts of your... It's a lot of fun. I mean, the bit I haven't quite got right yet is the work-life balance. So the idea was, I mean, it obviously wasn't retirement, but it was a bit to have a change of pace. Running an agency is completely relentless. And I did want to be a bit more in control of my time, have a bit more spare time. With, with about seven things that you're doing now, Andrew. Well, I, that's I, the I thing. could have told you that that wasn't going to work out I'm not out very well. good at saying no. no. Um, everything that I've got involved with, I, tot- I mean, I have said no to quite a lot of things, but the stuff that I'm involved with, I really love. And I put everything into what I do. I think what will happen over time is some of those will grow in significance in terms of my involvement and other stuff will either become easier to manage or will require less time commitment or just fade away and then it, it will sort of evolve naturally but I've it's quite nice to sort of I don't know see how rapidly things have changed in the space of a really short period of time and I'm enjoying it. But I imagine it's a bit like, you know, Prime Minister leaving the office. That the adrenaline is still high from running an agency and being full on. You've, you've not quite replaced that, but you've put in a lot of pieces which will ensure that you're super busy and that your brain is still moving fast. Absolutely. I cannot be bored. I'm not that sort of person. It's, you know, it's really not in my nature to allow myself to be bored. Really good to talk. Just before I say ta until the next time, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? My song choice is probably the most obvious song choice in the history of your podcast. Guess I've chosen a Frank Sinatra song, who else? The original Frank, um, and I did it my way. I, I mean, probably if you really listen to the lyrics, they don't tell my story, but the, the headline, I did it my way, I think hopefully is true to me as a person, as I've always tried to be true to myself, have a good ethical compass, make decisions that I believe are correct, and just see them through with conviction. So I think I've always done it my way.
the song choice of my business shaper today, Andrew Block. An honest person, someone who believed in telling the truth without dressing it up, and he thought that was really important and stood him in good stead. Someone who's fair, someone who believes that there is the right way of doing things, and someone who believed in high standards. 20 years at the top in his industry, no mean feat. That's it from Jazz Shapers and me. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mish Condorea. It's business, but it's personal.